0: Hi Property Investor listeners, Taran Sham here. I want to tell you about another property podcast that I'm super excited about. It's called Think Big Property where I have millions of questions about property development and my co-host Nyong Nguyen has made millions of dollars from it. I think you'll really like it. So I wanted to play another episode for you. You can binge all the rest of the episodes on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Here it is another episode of Think Big Property.
1: I find it's just a believability. If you believe that it can be done, it can be done. If you believe that you can't or you doubt it or you're skeptical, I appreciate that as well.
0: This is the Think Big Property Podcast where Young earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me has millions of questions. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the topic of buying strategies as none gives us some of his expert tactics when buying property, especially looking at under market value opportunities. We find out about how to find motivated sellers, the importance of knowing your area well before purchasing and much, much more. Have you thought about how successful property investors and developers decide what properties to buy? Buying strategies are pivotal in order to get the best deal possible. The first strategy that Young and I discuss about is how to buy property at wholesale prices.
1: There's so many ways to buy property wholesale, and I know in the past I bought um, property wholesale in many different ways and forms and, and things like that. So I think you know probably the we'll start with some of the fundamentals of buying under market value and why under buying under market value is so important.
0: I think it'll be great for listeners to understand because I think the the key component for any property development successfully is to make sure that you are buying well before you actually buy a particular property, you want to make sure that you are actually making money before buying and that's how you can be successful and that's why wholesale is so important. So yeah, let's delve into it.
1: You will find after that you've heard me a couple of times on episode one and two that I have a few sayings. Um, One of my sayings is that property is easy to get in, hard to get out, kind of like getting married, okay? So uh, I'm married, I know Tyrone's married and I've been married for over 10 years now and when you buy that property and get into that uh, engagement and being turn that part to your portfolio is that it's not a short-term thing, right? It's not a short-term thing and like, like I said, properties easy to get in, hard to get out and, and so when you're getting out, you got to make sure that it's easy to get out by buying well, right? So that, that was part of the things I learned in the GFC or pre-GFC is that I'd buy properties and... I'd struggle necessarily to to get out because I may have paid a little bit too much or I may have got a discount but not big enough discount to be able to be negotiable on the end price. So buying property uh, well on the way in, buying at a wholesale price, is absolutely essential. So I suppose that's the first thing. But the thing we also got to get your head around is that buying property wholesale is possible. I think it's one thing to say to do it, you need to do this, like you need to um, do X, Y, Z to achieve a result. But you also need to understand that it's possible because I I know talking to a lot of people in the marketplace, I've spoken to thousands of people on stages and stuff. Offline, they say, well, we don't actually believe that we can get property wholesale because Where do we find them? Aren't they all sold? Don't you need a lot of cash to buy property wholesale? Or, you know, if you're looking for motivated sellers, that they're not going to sell it to you, they want top dollar. Um, So there's a lot of concern uh, and lack of belief about being able to buy under market value. What's your take on that, Tyrone? You've spoken to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, definitely. Especially when people say, as um, an investor, and says, oh, gosh, you know, the, the real estate agents seem to always have these properties that come onto come on but they don't go into market and they say that usually off-market transactions and they're the ones that are usually under market value. And people go, yeah, yeah, you know, that's hard to get but I think it's it's not true necessarily because you can actually get into that as long as you build those relationships and I found that if you build a relationship with the agents and you build relationships with say buyer's agents as well too, there are chances that they will actually come to you as long as you provide them and show them that you are professional, that you'll be actually wanting to come back and get more properties because if you go in there with the view of saying, look, you know, I'm going to just be buying one property off you and then that's it, they're not interested. They want to be able to have a long-term relationship with you to purchase more or sell more properties to you so that they can actually offer you more things to to buy. So I think it, it's, it's also a perception thing and a mindset thing to change within internally saying, look, you know, I'm a professional, I'm going in there as a property developer and I'm looking to buy property at a certain price and also at, you know, as a certain market as well too. And I think that that's the key component that I think a lot of people just don't understand. But I think uh, talking about buying wholesale—that's—that <laughs> is going to be very, very interesting to share in this episode.
1: It's getting people's heads around that it is possible, just like what Tyrone's talking about there before. Um, I think the other thing is a little bit later. We'll talk about methods to do this and how you can do this. It's just a believability. If you believe that it can be done, it can be done. If you believe that you can't, or you doubt it, or you're skeptical. I appreciate that as well. And, and when I started out, you know, I was buying houses maybe 10, 15, 20% under market value and some of my colleagues at the time we're getting properties you know 30 to 40% market under market value and I was just scratching my head going how is that possible I find hard enough to get a property 10 to 20% under market value let alone 30 to 40% under market value but we'll talk a little bit about that later probably the easiest way for us is to firstly start with the concept of you make your money when you buy not when you sell you know it's critical you get that fundamental in this podcast is you make your money when you buy not when you sell. And property is easy to get in and the moment, the point of which you decide to buy the property, that's when you have the most control. What I mean by that is that's when you can do the most research and the most due diligence and the most intellectual add value to that property, whether you figure out you can put a granny flat at the back, whether you can build in underneath to add that extra three bedrooms, whether you can subdivide the property or, or put 10 apartments on the property, at that point in time, you're not really 100% committed to the property. So once you're in, it's too late. You've signed the contract, gone unconditional, have to settle. And and once you have settled, you're committed to the deal. And if you're not clear on your exit strategies, that's very, very uh, painful as well. Because oftentimes people go, oh, it's a great property. It's got all this potential. But if you can't bring that potential to fruition, you can't get that approval, you can't do that renovation for whatever reason, council won't let you, then you're stuck with a property that can take 6, 12, 18 months to be able to execute or or exit from that deal and and it's opportunity cost, you know, 50, 100, 200 grand capitals tied up, you're not able to to exit and and you tie up your debt as well. So I just want to elaborate that Tyrone before I go into examples.
0: I think you've really covered that extremely well because the opportunity cost is so, so important and I think unless you've got a mindset saying okay. If things go worse and this is what we talked about in the money rules in the last episode is if your worst case scenario is that you're not making 10% on that or you're looking to just buy and hold that property which is fine and everything like that as part of your portfolio, then you know you have lost that opportunity cost and you've got to consider those factors. That's the reason why the first part or that second part of our episode in money rules was so, so important about setting these guidelines to ensure that before you jump into these property deals that you find, that you actually meet those criteria and that's only the first aspect. The second aspect is doing the due diligence which is what Nyang's going to be talking about right now.
1: Exit strategy is so key. When a person is a developer and you're turning deals over or you buy, rent, or selling or you're subdividing and selling, what you will find is when you're in one or two deals, especially at the beginning, you'll be maxed out. And I don't necessarily mean maxed out financially. Yeah, you may be, but also headspace. Everybody's got only so much headspace. It's like oftentimes a lot of my clients, um, for example, Kate, one of my earlier clients who did a renovation, she bought a, a property from a motivated seller. We'll go into that soon, but she was only able to do one reno at a time. And what that meant is the longer a renovation took, the longer it would take for her to get into her next deal and next deal and next deal. So when you can only do one deal at a time, generally your finances, your emotions, your headspace, is just focused on that. You're unable to do multiple deals at once. Like at the moment, I'm doing three or four deals at the one time, one's small, one's big, one's mid size so I'm able to juggle multiple things as well as run a seminar business and be a parent and and all these other things that we all have going on. But my point is that it's that headspace. When you're starting out, your headspace can be quite limited to generally only one deal at a time. So if your do- deal takes too long and you're not in and out due to what we call velocity, then it can take six months before you get into your next deal. You know, In this instance um, with Kate, uh, she signed a contract to buy a property um, in a middle-tier suburb and she got it for a good price um, and it was a motivated seller. The guy was overseas and the property was falling apart. property was falling apart and she was um, able to negotiate a discount on the property because the property was in poor condition. So in Queensland, as you may know, you're able to do a building and pest report and then use that building and pest report to be able to get a discount or negotiate on the price. And that's what happened with her. She was able to get the property at a good price, negotiated a further $50,000 discount on the property, sold it in a period of 6 months and made around about 110k and that the key point to this was, it was a motivated seller right she was able to get that 50 grand discount the property needed some work from a termite point of view she was able to find a tradesperson who was able to fix that termite issue without necessarily knocking the place down and built in that negotiation of 50k discount into her 110k profit otherwise you would have made probably only 60k profit on that deal
0: What's interesting about Kate's situation is that she wasn't just a, she wasn't a developer nor was she actually a reno person. Her actual background is nursing <laughs> and, and this is what I really love about her story. Maybe if you want to share it with the listeners, what was her background? Why did she actually want to get into renovations? Because... Nursing you know, is a pretty good job to be in but at the same time, to jump into property developments like left a field.
1: Some people, they love making things look pretty. They love making things look better and cleaning stuff up and, and turning the dogs, so to speak, into cash cows or turning the um, ugly ducklings into the beautiful swans. In this particular instance, the house was ridden with termites and uh, everybody who walked in, all they, the advice they got was knock it down, light it with a match and, and just get the block of land. So being in a premium premium suburb she thought okay that's possible but how can we keep this building excuse me how can we keep the integrity of the building and still be able to make money so uh, in her instance uh, she was working as a nurse part-time and even though she was doing Saturdays and Sundays to get the better hourly rate she really didn't like what she was doing there as a nurse so she did property for a few years and one of her great Claims to fame was that Renault there um, and was able to turn around a 110K profit. Her challenge at the time was the fact that she didn't have a lot of serviceability and didn't have a lot of cash either. So part of her experience and training with me was to be able to do that deal with the resources she had. She brought her money partner in to help service the debt and also fund some of the cash. And so the 110K profit wasn't just to her, it was to her partner as well, which was a, a great story. She's done a whole stack of deals since still in the property industry, not necessarily doing developments or renovations but yeah, she still has a, a great involvement in property and helping my other clients make money through property as well.
0: It's such an amazing story to be able to hear about Kate and be able to utilize that in buying at wholesale as well too. So we talked a little bit about motivated sellers. Let's elaborate a little bit more details on how listeners can actually find these kind of motivated sellers or actually maybe even just talk about what are these motivated sellers that we're looking for?
1: Yeah, for sure. Look, motivated sellers, it's a whole huge topic and we might cover in more detail on on the next podcast but in her instance, one of the tips here was that the owner was an overseas seller. Right, Oftentimes, overseas sellers or interstate sellers, they have their own financial or life problems as we all do, right? When I look for a property, I don't just look for development opportunity. I don't look for, let's say, upside only. I look for the opportunity to negotiate a better price. Like I said, originally, is you make your money when you buy. And when you buy, you want to buy with the best price possible, with the best terms possible. So it might be the lowest price with the longest settlement, Yeah. So in this instance, it was an inter- sorry, overseas seller uh, and he had a problem with his property. So that's the other thing you may look for is not just problems um, generally, you look for problems, uh, potential properties with problems that you can solve. It's all well and good to find a property on a main road and it's got flooding and it's got Really busy noise because of you know, five lanes in front of it or opposite a school, but you want to look for problems that you can solve and makes the property more appealing. So I think that's a really good one to start with is distance. We call it we call it the four D's. One of the D's in this instance is distance. Overseas or interstate owners, when when they have their own financial or personal life challenges, that's where they become negotiable. So you know, motivation gives negotiation. That's what I generally look for when I had a, a property on the south side that I found a motivated seller for. Um, the property was worth around about 400K and it'd been zoned for low to medium residential, which meant that I could do townhouses or uh, units on it. Um, socio socioeconomic area, not really fit for necessarily townhouses or apartments, but that's what it was zoned for. Anyway, the rezoning had happened roughly around about 2009, 2010, where the market was quite flat and the owner had paid, I think, 310,000 in 2009. So GFC, post-GFC, they paid 310. In that time, since he bought it, it got rezoned to a higher density, and I don't think he realized it. So when it became a motivated seller scenario where he needed to sell the property, um, I was able to get the property off him at three hundred and twenty thousand. So another distance scenario um, where he lived two hundred k's out of town, didn't really understand the values of the property. I bought off him for three twenty, and within three weeks, uh, I'd ha- actually put it on the market. The uh, seller had given us keys to the property and said, "Look, you've gone unconditional now. Do whatever you want. Here's the keys." And we're able to actually put the house on the market and do open homes for the property. Um, We've done repairs to the properties. We had a bit of termite damage in the backyard, not, not a big deal. Uh, and put it on the market. We actually put it on the market and uh, had sold it under contract for 4 10 That contract crashed based on the building and pest report. There's still some termites that hadn't been cleaned up. All good. We fixed that up and sold it second time around for four oh five. So when we originally signed the contract for three twenty. We put a property on the market and we selling it I suppose uh, off the plan you could say. It, would, it was ready to roll and then um, by the time we had paid for it, um, yeah, we already had a buyer that was ready to, to settle on the other end and that was three weeks after we just paid for it.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll delve into other buying strategies.
1: One of the things that people often miss in what you've just said or what we're talking about is becoming an area expert.
0: What type of property he prefers to invest in?
1: I prefer houses over townhouses or apartments simply because you get better capital growth, better demand and and things like that.
0: How he was able to make money during the GFC period when everyone else was losing money?
1: We're still able to exit that project with a good... Profit six figures when other people were losing money, right? So you just got to make sure that you buy under market value.
0: And that's next. You're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast. Hey, podcast listeners. Want to learn how Nyung made over $215,000 from subdividing a thousand meter square block into five lots? Many told him there are no good deals left in this suburb but $215,000 profit in 12 months proved them wrong. When you head over to thinkbigproperty.com and subscribe, you'll get access to the video that shows you where to find them, how to get them approved and how to profit from them in even overpriced suburbs. This video shows you everything. Simply visit thinkbigproperty.com to watch the video. So literally, you pretty much was in and out of the property after three weeks, and you almost didn't need to necessarily pay any money to it because if you timed the settlement at the same time, you would have just transferred the money directly to the the old owner you know, the original vendor you purchased off, and just taken the profit. It sounds like it sounds like you just took the cash in the transaction and just moved on quickly.
1: Exactly, exactly, and I love those kind of deals. It really, you know, pumps up my adrenaline, and I love getting the thrill of the game, the thrill of the chase. It's like any sport, you know. You want to get better at it. You want to be able to do it quicker, faster, better. Some people like golf. Some people like tennis. Some people like swimming. So, um, from a property point of view, that's how I like to test myself and push myself hard in the marketplace and see what I can do. In that transaction, yeah, we bought it for three twenty, sold for four oh five, net. Uh, after agent's commission, oh, sorry, there was no agent's commission because I sold it privately. That was another experiment that we ran with. Um, yeah, we made about $61,000 in, in three weeks, which is really cool. You know, uh, that money I put into one of the cars that I bought at the time and um, paid cash and, and that was really cool. But yeah, that is an example of a wholesale scenario where you buy under market value from an interstate or an overseas or a distance owner where they don't necessarily know the market, but they do want to sell the property.
0: And it sounds quite like this this is not just an uncommon scenario. It happens pretty regularly because I guess people just don 't have the time to get to know the markets and especially if they 're even not in the industry of property they wouldn 't know what the property 's worth, and they 're just trusting the agent will actually do the right thing by selling them to you know, at the right price. But because as developers, we know the zoning, we know the area and, and I think this comes back down to another th- topic that we're going to probably cover is knowing your area extremely well. If you know the area, you know what the zonings are, you know where to go and find the properties, then you can become an area expert which will allow you to be able to find the opportunities because people who have sold like in a distressed stage or a distant stage as you said as a motor seller, they don't know the area. So therefore, uh, whatever the agent says it's worth, then you sell it at that price. Um, you can come in and make a profit due to the zoning changes, as you just mentioned.
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head. Is that one of the things that people often miss in what you've just said or what we're talking about is becoming an area expert. The value of that is so critical. The value of that is so critical. People don't understand how critical that is. It's it's no different to you know, let's say my wife going to the shops and buying a pair of shoes she'll have studied that pair of shoes or that brand or that style for weeks and weeks and months and months and as much as i you know don't like shoes or handbags when my wife comes home with something she'll always sell me on how much discount she got on it right oh it was 30 40% off You still paid 300 bucks for a handbag um, or a pair of shoes but um, she got a 30% discount that was a critical part um, but jokingly is that you got to be an area expert. You've got to know your product and you got to know your area. Oftentimes, one of the mistakes that people make in attempting to buy under market value or getting into the property game is they spread themselves too thin. They might, you know, if you're in Sydney, they might go north, they might go south, they might go out to Liverpool, they might go to Blacktown, and then go to Northern Beaches and Port Macquarie and just spread themselves too thin. You need to be really laser focused so that when a deal comes up, bang, you know what it's worth, you know what... The market value is worth what it's worth when you renovated it um, down the track, add an extra bedroom, add an extra bathroom, extra, add an extra car accommodation. You need to know those values. Whereas if you don't know those values, that's where you're jumping into something that might seem cheap, but it may be cheap because it has a problem. It might be back onto the train line, it might have not legal height underneath, um, there might be a problem with the infrastructure. Um, there's um, in- structural issues with the property; might be undermined. There's so many things that why it could be cheap. So I've made that same mistake as well, buying cheap property for the wrong reasons, versus understanding the market and knowing. Because I'm an area expert, I know exactly what something's worth, and that takes time. It might take you, you know, two to three months to do that to become an area expert and understand the nuances of that quadrant of that suburb, or this street is worth more because of this reason, or you know that house. Uh, or or the, those blocks are backing onto industrial, therefore, one might be worth less.
0: I guess the question I have for for you is: becoming an area expert is is something that takes time, as you said. But how do you determine what would be an area that you want to focus on? Because you know, there's so many different suburbs, there's so many different parts to um, different places where you live, and not necessarily will you be able to become an area expert. That's close to you as well too. Ideally, it would be best if you can but um, it's depending on what you're looking for. So, how do you actually choose an area like you've done for yourself?
1: I think I'd break that into several parts, maybe even three parts Um, and people who come to me about this question oftentimes are dealing with affordability or more so lack of affordability. So, I definitely start there and, and look at affordability of what you can afford so let's make an example. Let's say you're looking and you can afford 500 or less and in a suburb or an area like Sydney, 500 less won't buy you much at all. So I prefer houses over townhouses or apartments simply because you get better capital growth, better demand and things like that versus apartments is a lot of construction and decreasing um, demand based on heaps of supply, right? So... Um, I know that's a different uh, paradigm to what Harry Triggerboff Trig, does, but that's a different play. He's a completely different uh, machine compared to what mums and dads like you and I are in the marketplace. But anyway, coming back to the first thing is budget. Determine that budget, and then um, you might have to go west, for example, to look, look at those uh, suburbs or areas that you can afford. So I know clients of myself in Sydney have looked at places like Liverpool and Cartwright and Blacktown um, to be able to afford it. Other clients have gone even further to places like Orange or Cessnock to be able to afford the the sub 400, the sub 300 potential plays there. For those in Brisbane, uh, you might be looking out at Ipswich or Caboolture or Logan, those kind of key areas Um, Those in in Melbourne might be looking at, let's say, Geelong. And and it might be, ideally, you want to be half an hour or less um, away from those areas. Sometimes it's not possible because it's a further half an hour on top of that half an hour. You might be an hour, hour and a half to be able to access those areas to get that affordability. So I think, firstly, is, is affordability. And you've got to come to terms with you're at where you're at. Yeah, some people, you might just have to drive two hours every Saturday one way to be able to do that market research. But it comes down to making a decision, making a decision that you are going to do it and you're willing to do what it takes. I think that some stage, some people need to do that. If you want to quit your job sooner rather than later, you need to make that decision that you're going to do it. You're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to cut down your sleeping hours, going to work, start early, finish late to build that momentum. So firstly is budget yep secondly um is geography so so what i mean by that is within that half an hour 45 minutes one hour drive one way that that is ideally the other scenario is budget matching that um geography or or locality and picking two or three suburbs that are close together geographically because then you can study the things like the shops is there a coles is there a Woolworths? is there an aldi there? What are the schools like? Uh, What is the infrastructure in terms of highway access or noise or train transport or bus transport? So geographically, once you've kind of chosen or looking at things, you want to look for opportunities where people are spending, the government spending money in those areas because where spending is, that's where the jobs are and where the jobs are, where people want to live. It's all well and good. There might be a lot of land out west, but if people don't want to live there, they're not going to buy your property. Yeah? So, or rent your property or become a tenant. So thirdly, um, in terms of choosing that particular suburb or area is strategy-wise. So if you're looking at doing the the granny flat play, or you're looking at doing the duplex play, you're looking at doing the subdivision play, you need to be matching all these three things together in areas that enable you to do that strategy. So um, in in melbourne let's say some areas you can do townhouses and some areas you can't so if you're looking at let's say clayton or springvale or those kind of uh, box hill areas some of those areas are not appropriate for subdivision or townhouses so you have to choose the strategy that overlaps with that particular area of that budget of that geography and that zoning as well. So in Ipswich uh, you might be looking at areas that uh, are subdividable but the land values is a constraint because the land value might be too low that it costs you 150 grand to subdivide and you can only sell the land for 120 grand. So yes there are a lot of considerations and sometimes it takes 1 to 2 or 3 months to realize that area you picked is wrong. But you got to understand that's part of the investment that it takes to figure that out for yourself. And and that's part of, I suppose, what we do in our training is we teach you where the hot suburbs are, what where the suburbs are, that you can develop those things, enable you to be able to cut those, shortcut that process for yourself and, and then reduce the amount of time wastage um, that people can spend months Looking for potential deals.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest challenge I think we all want to sort of try to avoid is, you know, wasting time to go and look at a suburb and then three months down the track realize, hold on, this doesn't fit the criteria. And I think that's the great thing about being a part of a community like yours to be able to do that and, you know, share that resource. And I think. You know, As being part of this community within the podcast and listeners being here, we can also help each other and support each other out there and I think there'll be a great opportunity for everyone to be part of that as well. That's fantastic you know, and thank you so much for sharing how to actually look and determine the different buying criteria on, on choosing which suburbs to actually become an area expertise on. Let's take a look at perhaps maybe the next parts of um, maybe the buying strategy of wholesale do you have another example or next part that you could share with us on how to actually determine what would be a good wholesale property?
1: Yeah, look, another cool thing that I've done in the past that might be a bit different is getting a bunch of friends together and getting a wholesale discount from a developer. So, uh, I know we, we talked about on this particular podcast series, it's about property development but sometimes it, there are opportunities to buy deals wholesale yourself. So, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of ideas. When a developer, let's say, is doing a block of apartments or 10 blocks of land, right? usually the two sales points that they feel the most pressure is at the beginning and at the end. And why at the beginning they might have 10 pieces of land or 10 parcels of stock, the first two or three is just getting it out of the ground. And oftentimes, people don't want to be the first mover to buy the first piece of stock or or property. And usually, you can potentially get, if you and your couple of friends offer really, really low for the first few pieces of um, development stock, you may be able to get some property at a discount there. The other one is at the end of a project. So if you've got like once again, 10 townhouses, they've sold seven of them and they've got three left. Well, that's really where the profit is. And so they'll be starving, waiting to consume or getting some profit at the end. And they may have been in the project one to two, three years and all the profits in the last two to three pieces of stock. So an idea from a motivated seller point of view, from a developer's point of view, is potentially getting a few friends together and I wouldn't say forming a syndicate, but buy, as a buying group negotiating with a seller to give you a group discount. If you buy three of them at once or four of them at once, they'll be able to give you a 5 10 15% discount to be able to move those pieces of stock. So I think that's a really lucrative way if you're looking for that kind of property to be able to get a discount uh, and work on, on the fact that generally sellers who are developers are motivated towards uh, the beginning or the end of a project.
0: That's really, really smart point. So, we're looking at saying maybe buying blocks of land in bulk. Um, that, that's how you'd be able to get a, a discount from, say, a developer who's actually subdivided the land, done all the work, and then you're pretty much just buying those blocks of land to build on. That's a very, very smart strategy and therefore, you don't have to wait the 6 to 12 months or so for the land to be subdivided. You can actually go ahead and get them built and then profit from selling those off as well. Like pretty much like a land and house package.
1: In that instance, the developer's done all the work, taken all the risk, taken all the stress. And, and that's what I've done in the past when I had the 20-lot subdivision back in just pre-GFC there, 2007. He had 20 blocks of land and we bought them off the plan wholesale off him um, for a massive discount there. And the market moved as well. So we got it one a discount and the market moved. So that was a bonus for us. We were able to pre-sell the blocks uh, even though the GFC came along and a lot of those contracts fell over. because we bought them well because you make your money when you buy, we're still able to exit that project with a good profit six figures when other people were losing money, right? So you just got to make sure that you buy under market value. I know on the next couple of podcasts and, and recordings, we'll be able to share with, um, the audience some really cool other motivated seller scenarios but uh, I think that's a really easy one for people to just get their head around without being too complicated.
0: I think those are really, really powerful strategies that we can actually just share at the moment to be able to talk about buying wholesale. I think uh, we're pretty much at the end of this episode and probably like to give everyone as we mentioned uh, opportunity to be able to take some action. So for today's or this episode that we're doing here, what is the assignment that we can actually give to everyone?
1: As you know, last week we had the uh, get clear on your money rules and answer at least of the five questions there. This week we'll get you to investigate or inspect three properties. Look, ideally, if you could get out amongst it, whether it's uh, during the week or on a Saturday, go for an open for inspection. Go talk to the agent find out what the property is for sale for and, and just get some information and build relationships so and look for a motivated seller. I think it's just a really, really easy assignment just to get out there, invest a couple of hours of your time into uh, investing into your, your lifestyle of learning about investment properties, learning about properties, what's selling, what's not, ask a few key questions and yeah, just have a bit of fun with it, looking for a motivated seller.
0: Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll be diving into the four Ds.
1: I'd say there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of reasons people have to sell, but I generally work on the four Ds to get people started.
0: An interesting tip on how to improve the way people perceive you.
1: But when you're starting out and you're you're pretty insecure, you're trying to prove yourself. That's one of the ways you you dress up in business clothes.
0: How to stay competitive within the property development market?
1: That's what being a developer is about. You got to test different opportunities, especially when things are getting more and more competitive. And that's
0: next time on the Think Big Property Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time.